episode 65. It was always me trying to change the recipe, and it was always a recipe for disaster. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for one year, eight months, and two days. On today's podcast, we've got Angela. She's from Seattle. She's 39 years old, and she's been sober since July 19th, 2015. Personally, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I listen to podcasts about recovery, about business, about health, about medicine, all kinds of stuff. One thing that bugs the crap out of me in podcasts is when they take the time out of my busy day to ask me to go to iTunes and leave them a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. So I'm actually going to do just that. I'm not sure you've noticed, but in 65 episodes of Recovery Elevator, I think I've asked for a review once. So here is my shameless plug. Please go to iTunes, leave an honest and genuine review. If you think this podcast is worth five stars, go ahead and leave five stars. If it's worth one star, maybe don't leave the review. Just kidding. But it's got to be an honest review. Also, subscribe to the podcast. This really helps with our rankings in iTunes and helps us reach more struggling alcoholics. Oh yeah, me being an alcoholic, I'm selfish. It also bugs the crap out of me when there's more time taken out of my busy day to hear from advertisers and sponsors for the podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and do just that. Let's hear from our sponsor, Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE for $10 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about sobriety and movies. About 10 episodes ago, Maureen helped me write a podcast episode regarding songs about recovery. That podcast crushed the previous week's record, and it was a great success. Had a lot of great feedback. Thank you so much for Maureen. And Maureen came through big time again and helped me compile a list of movies about recovery, about sobriety, about getting sober. So thank you so much, Maureen, for your help. There are 25 movies in this list, and not all of them are about getting sober or staying sober. So some of these might be hard to watch. So a warning, I recommend listening to the summary and based upon where you're at in your sobriety, some of these films might not be too healthy. For example, a couple weeks ago, I saw Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage. I've been sober for nearly 20 months and that was difficult to watch. This list will be followed up by another list of movies that I highly recommend you just skip overall. Those movies aren't helpful to anybody's sobriety. The cool thing about these movies is you can kill two birds with one stone. My first six months of sobriety, I was searching for things to do that didn't involve alcohol. So you can be in a setting where you're not in a bar, enjoy a movie, but you can also learn a little bit about recovery, sobriety, and all that stuff. The first movie on this list is called Burnt. It came out in 2015. It's got Bradley Cooper in it. It's a comedy and a drama. You can laugh to it and cry to it. So here's a synopsis. Adam Jones, played by Bradley Cooper, is a chef who destroyed his career with drugs and diva behavior. 
He cleans up and returns to London, determined to redeem himself by spearheading a top restaurant that can gain three Michelin stars. I imagine in London, that's the same thing as being Zagat rated. <laughs> the second movie on the list is a movie that came out in 2012 called Smashed with Aaron Paul. This is about a married couple whose bond is built on a mutual love of alcohol. Their relationship gets put to test when the wife decides to get sober. Movie number three on the list, this one's got Will Ferrell, came out in 2010, is called Everything Must Go. This movie is about when an alcoholic relapses, causing him to lose his wife and his job. He holds a yard sale on his front lawn in an attempt to start over. A new neighbor might be the key to his return to form. If Will Ferrell plays this character anything like he played his character in Elf, I'll watch it. Movie number four on the list, this one came out in 1991 and stars Bobcat Goldthway. It's called Shakes the Clown. Really not that much explanation needed here. Bobcat Goldthway, with his incredibly strange voice, plays a clown named Shakes who shows up to kids' birthday parties drunk. Wow, that's probably based off a true story. His boss threatens him with unemployment. Get your act together, Shakes. I imagine this is an oldie, but a goodie. Next up on the list, My Name is Bill W. This came out in 1989 and stars James Woods. Based on the true story of Bill W., James Woods plays this character, successful stockbroker whose life falls apart after the stock crash of the 20s and how he comes to grips with his alcoholism. Ism, incredibly short memory. Along with a fellow alcoholic, James Garner, he forms a support group that would eventually become Alcoholics Anonymous. Number six on this list is called Barfly. It came out in 1987, starring Mickey Rourke. This movie is based on the life of a successful poet named Charles Bukowski and talks about his exploits in Hollywood during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Number seven on the list is the 2009 romance Crazy Heart, starring Jeff Bridges. This movie is about a faded country music musician who is forced to reassess his dysfunctional life during a doomed romance that also inspires him. Number eight on this list is Days of Wine and Roses, came out in 1962, stars Jack Lemmon. This is about an alcoholic who falls in love with and gets married to a young woman, who he systematically then addicts to booze so they can share his passion together. Wow, Jack Lemmon, you're a dick. Number nine, this movie's called Drunks, came out in 1995, starring Richard Lewis and Lisa Harris. At the beginning of a nightly Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, Jim seems particularly troubled. His sponsor encourages him to talk that night, first time in seven months, so he does. Directly after he leaves the meeting, wanders through the park, and just has a whole evening of self-searching. Number 11 on this list is Unguarded, the Chris Heron story. It came out in 2013. Chris Heron was a can't-miss basketball star until drug addiction eventually destroyed his career. With the support of his wife and family, Heron struggles to conquer his demons and reclaim his life. I've seen this one. This one's awesome. Next up on the list, we got 28 Days with Sandra Bullock came out in 2000. This one follows a big city newspaper columnist who was forced to enter a drug and alcohol rehab center after ruining her sister's wedding and crashing a stolen limousine. That sounds too crazy to be true, but after doing the podcast and hearing numerous You Might Be Now call gift lines, that movie is probably based off a true story. Number 13 on the list is a movie called When a Man Loves a Woman, starring Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia. I really hope the famous song, When a Man Loves a Woman, the Percy Sledge version, by the way, is included somewhere in this masterpiece. This one is about an airline pilot and his wife who are forced to face the consequences of Meg Ryan's addiction when her addictions threaten her life and also their daughter's safety. 
While the woman enters detox, her husband must face the truth of his enabling behavior. Meg Ryan, where have you been for the last decade? Number 14 on the list is Leaving Las Vegas, featuring a Nicolas Cage, Elizabeth Shue, came out in 1995. Nicolas Cage won an Oscar for Best Man playing an alcoholic in this film. I said that right. Nicolas Cage won an Oscar. That's the same guy who's put out crap films for the past decade. I saw this movie a couple weeks ago, and it's a tough one to watch. It's a tough one to watch because I'm fully aware of my yet scale. At this point in my journey, it's not difficult for me to focus on the similarities and not the differences. I could easily see myself in the same shoes as Nicolas Cage just in a matter of time. If I continue drinking, I could see something similar to that happening where Nicolas Cage, he just drank himself to death. It happens more than you think. Elizabeth Shue, where have you been? Fun fact about Paul, Elizabeth Shue is in the first R-rated movie I ever saw, which was The Adventures of Babysitting. Number 16 on the list is The Basketball Diaries came out in 1995 with Leonardo DiCaprio. A teenager finds his dreams of becoming a basketball star threatened after he free falls into the harrowing world of drug addiction. Number 17, The Lost Weekend came out in 1945. In this one, the desperate life of a chronic alcoholic is followed through a four-day drinking binge. Number 18 on the list is called Shame, aka something I was riddled with for nearly a decade while trying to hold my secret of being an alcoholic. Feels good not to be ashamed. Okay, this one takes place in New York City, and Brandon, the star, is carefully cultivating a private life, which he allows himself to indulge in his sexual addiction, which is disrupted then when his sister arrives unannounced for an indefinite stay. Oops. Next one up on the list is called Postcards from the Edge, came out in 1990 and stars Meryl Streep. This one is about a substance-addicted actress who tries to look on the bright side even as she is forced to move back in with her mother to avoid unemployment. Meryl, I moved back in with my parents many times during my 20s. It's not that bad. My 20s and moving in and out of my parents' place reminded me of the Matthew McConaughey movie Failure to Launch, but mine was more like Failure to Quit Drinking. Number 20 on the list is Flight. This came out in 2012 starring Denzel Washington. This one is about an airline pilot who saves almost all of his passengers on a malfunctioning airliner which eventually crashed. But an investigation into the accident reveals something troubling. I've seen this one twice. This one came out in 2012. It's fairly recent. Denzel Washington nails the role of playing an alcoholic. Again, where I was in my journey when I saw that movie, it was a yet scale. I was like, man, if I was a pilot... I could probably see myself doing the same thing. Spoiler alert, there's a scene at the end of the movie, right before the climactic court scene, where he realizes the door to the adjacent hotel is open, opens up the mini fridge, and game f***ing on. Number 21 on the list is called Thanks for Sharing, came out in 2013, and the stars Mark Ruffalo, Tim Robbins, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Wow, that's a lineup right there. This one is a romantic comedy that brings together three disparate characters who are learning to face a challenging and often confusing world as they struggle together against a common demon, sex addiction. Number 22 on the list is called Suck It Up Buttercup, came out in 2014. It's a drama starring Lacey Marie Meyer. Drug addiction's collateral damage is starkly revealed when a former honor student, newly addicted to prescription pills, triggers a chain of events that devastates her friends and threatens to tear her family apart. Number 23 on the list is called Half Nelson, a.k.a. what my older brother had me in for nearly a decade in my teens. And this one is starring Ryan Gosling. Side note, damn, he's good in The Notebook. 
Here's the synopsis. An inner-city junior high school teacher with a drug habit forms an unlikely friendship with one of his students after she discovers his secret. Number 24 on the list is called Amy. This one came out in 2015 and stars Amy Winehouse. This one is the story of Amy Winehouse in her own words, featuring unseen footage and unheard tracks. Number 25, finalizing this list, is The Anonymous People, came out in 2013. This one is my favorite on the list, and it is a must-see of all these. If you have not seen it, it is on Netflix. Watch it right now. The title of this movie is a little misleading. It's kind of like a big gangster named Tiny, but he's the biggest guy you've ever seen. These people, they're not anonymous. And they talk about why the stigma and actually being anonymous actually is extremely dangerous. In addition to the list of 25 solid gold recommendations, I also have some movies that I recommend you just steer away from. Or maybe wait till you've got some sobriety under your belt. And again, I want to say thank you to Maureen for helping me compile the previous list. Okay, I'm not saying these movies are bad. I've seen a lot of them and they're really good. But while watching it, you want to do one thing, and that's party. Starting off with Beer Fest. Also avoid American Pie 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9's okay, 10, 11, 12, 14, eh, 15, 16. Just kidding, they're all bad. Next up, PCU. Another one to avoid, Mean Girls. That's a great movie. Teen Wolf. Ah, I love that movie. Another one to avoid, Rules of Engagement. Dazed and Confused. Soundtrack is okay, is okay. And Matthew McConaughey is really good. However, if you grew up in the 70s and you're in early sobriety, I just skipped that one altogether. Boogie Nights, dangerous. Watch out for train spotting, Euro Trip, Weird Science, Clueless. Watch out for Super Bad. Oh yeah, one of the worst hangovers in my life. I was in Lima, Peru, and I watched Super Bad three times in a row. It gets funnier, believe it or not, after each time you watch it. More movies would be 16 Candles, Old School, House Party, Bachelor Party, Road Trip, Revenge of the Nerds, Can't Hardly Wait, Animal House, 21 and Over, Project X, The Great Gatsby, This is the End, 21 Drum Street, 22 Drum Street, Accepted, and Holy Shit, The Wolf on Wall Street? Oh my goodness, that is a shitstorm of substance abuse for like two and a half hours straight. Just skip that one altogether. Again, both of these lists will be on the recoveryelevator.com website. Go to podcast, find show notes, episode 65. So now let's go ahead and hear from our interviewee, Angela. Angela, how are you? I'm good, Paul. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to be here with you. Let's get right into it, Angela. How long have you been sober? I have been sober for nine months or 276 days today. Nine months on the day today? Today, yes. Wow, nice job. There Thank you go. You. Have you ever had any duration of sobriety time equivalent to this, or is this like the first time? This is the first time that I've gone nine months. I The previous times that I've gone have been like three and a half months, and that's about it. I would get three and a half months, and then kind of fall off the wagon, and then go three and a half months, fall off the wagon. So this is the longest that I've gone, and I'm pretty proud you are in uncharted waters, but if you yeah. stick with the pack, you should be just fine. And Angela, before we get further into the interview, tell me a little bit about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, what you like to do for fun. Do you have a family? Things like that. And maybe have you ever, uh, do you have a pet cat? <laughs> I do have a pet cat. His name is Oklahoma, and I am 39 years old. I'm a Seattle native. I don't have kids. I'm single. 
never married, and yeah, I like to camp and cook and go to museums and travel and laugh a lot. There you go. Um, and let's talk about your pet's name, Homer. I find it ironic that your pet's name, your cat's name, is, has the words H O M E in it, but it decided to leave home for a couple days and live in a tree. Is that right? That's true. And his name should be Homer, but it's Oklahoma. Oh, it's not like a homebody cat. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, he decided to take off and have a little adventure. And so I had to grab him yesterday from a tree. And that was quite an adventure in itself. So, but he's back home now. It's safe. Oh, Homer. <laughs> well, Angela. Oh, oh Homer. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, reference the podcast title here Recovery Elevator. Talk to me about your elevator. Was it nine months ago? Was it the first time you decided to quit drinking? Was it something bad that happened? Or talk to me about what happened nine months ago. Well, nine months ago was the time that I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I had relapsed right before that. And I drank for a little while. And you know, I just woke up one day from a camping trip, actually, and I was like, this is it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of blacking out. I'm tired of the stress that that causes, the depression, the anxiety, the phone calls that you get, you know, the next day. Do you remember what you did last night? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I never knew what I did, and it was always usually a pretty bad story, so... You know, I was just, I was tired of, tired of doing that every day, pretty much, you know. Sick and tired of being and sick and tired is that's a, right. a common response. It, it It is, and that's kind of how I was too. And talk to me about your drinking habits leading up to that moment nine months ago. How much did you drink, and did you ever try to put rules into place and to moderate it or control it? Did. I always worked as a, you know, bartender part-time, so I would have an office job, you know, and then I would make extra money working at the bar and, you know, of course it was easy to drink behind the bar until, you know, you're obviously sloshed and it's not so good anymore. But (laughs) yeah, I would say like maybe, you know, don't have more than three shots before 9 PM, you know, or, (laughs) you know, don't, don't drink before five or maybe don't drink before work or don't drink at work would be, you know, a good one to follow. But, yeah, I always tried to moderate it, and it never really seemed to work. It just seemed to get worse. And, you know, I used to drink just regular beer, and then it changed to liquor, and then, I, you know, shots were my thing, like always shots. And then it got to the point where I would just drink, you know, plain vodka in my room by myself. You know, it was just an ugly situation, and it didn't feel very good. And the days would kind of melt into one long day and yeah it was just no fun so i tried to moderate but it always seemed to get worse that like the sick and tired of being sick and tired is a very common response on this and then eventually me included in this is i just was drinking alone i was not the fun alcoholic at a bar being social meeting new friends i would lock up at my house and and when you drink alone is that something that you would do oh yeah yeah well, you know, I I was one of those people that, like, very visibly, you can, I mean, you can tell when I've been drinking. I'm not a Hemingway, as they call certain people, where <laughs> they can have 20 drinks, and you wouldn't know. I'm one of those that <laughs> wears it not very well. 
So it got to the point where, you know, a lot of my friends didn't want to drink with me. And I didn't want to drink publicly either because I was sick of making a fool of myself. And so I just turned to my my room and that's where I drank and it, it was a very sad thing. And so nine months ago, how did you do mm-hmm. it? When did something change? Was that one of the first times you've ever wanted to quit drinking or did you try to quit again before that? I had tried probably about five or six times to quit before then, but I didn't really take it that seriously. I think what it was, it was more of my attitude about like, well, I can just quit for a while. And then, you know, maybe after, you know, I quit for a couple months, then I can just drink a little bit here and there. You know, whenever I go to a sporting event or a wedding, you know, I'll just have a beer or two glasses of wine and that's it. And then for me though, it was never like, you have to stop, stop, stop. Like, you know, it was always me trying to change the recipe and it was always a recipe for disaster. And so when I finally came to the conclusion that I am one of those people that absolutely cannot drink, that is when it clicked with me and it's poison for me and it'll kill me. And so once I digested that information, that's when it really like set in and I feel like, you know, I'm more set up for success. Dear John, it sounds like the Dear John letter where saying goodbye is so hard to do. And when you finally reached the conclusion that you no longer could drink, which is similar to me, when I finally reached a point of acceptance, I was like, all right, every rule that I have put in place, I have broken, not barely, I have destroyed the rules and I can't drink. And it was like this clear window of hope that I experienced. And, and then when you finally reached that uh, conclusion of acceptance, was that something similar? What, tell me more about that. Absolutely. It was, it was the only thing that I had to hang on to was hope. You know, I mean, I didn't have much of that before. Hang tight. You know, so and, you I, said and I, the only thing you had to hang on to was that hope, but it is, it's, it's a hard concept to get. And I'm even, I'm trying to figure a way to phrase this. Like you're almost, you're hanging on to surrendering. Does that make sense? Like you're hanging yes. on to giving up, which makes no sense, but that's when the hope comes. Is that explain that better? Cause that, I think you're gonna do a better job than I did. Well, that's pretty much what it is. You know, I was the hope of actually being able to, you know, have a life again was the only thing that I could see, you know, when I finally surrendered, you know, to the fact that I can't function at all, you know, um, is the only thing that I had to hang hang on to was that hope. And that's the only thing that got me through to the other side because otherwise there's nothing, there's no point, you know? So and I, that's I hear basically you. where I was on that. He, like on the surrender, I can only imagine, it's almost like when you're watching Peyton Manning play football, it's like, just hang it up. Just hang up the cleats and you're done. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I can only imagine up, like Peyton. a fly. Yeah, hang it up, Peyton. <laughs> I can only imagine a fly on the wall looking at alcoholics, watching us just like keep getting back into the ring. You're like round 762 and you haven't won a round yet, but you keep getting back up and getting into the ring. And finally, when you're like, all right, I'm done. This is wave of hope comes over you. And, and how did you build off that hope? How did you get one day? How'd you get 72 hours? That is exactly what it's like, Paul, like getting into the ring and fighting and you're bruised and battered and you keep doing it for what, doing the dance for whatever reason. There were two separate times where I ended up drunk in a cab 
and I passed out, and the cab drivers couldn't figure out, you know, where to drop me off. And I live in Seattle, and they drove me to my parents' house. Mm. And <laughs> that's what my license, my address has. Yeah. And so that's nice. You know, I'm cussing at the cab driver because he didn't drop me off at the right place, and my dad's waking up in the middle of the night having to pay a $100 cab fare. Oh, wow. You know, and I wake up in my parents' room, you know, like, <laughs> like what the heck just happened? You know, that embarrassment was enough. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm 30, 30 whatever, and I'm waking up blacked out at my, in my parents' bedroom, you know? What was the conversation like when you woke up? Was it in the morning? Yeah, it was like, well, he made quite the scene, you know? <laughs> like you drink too much and my family had come to me multiple times about my drinking because it progressively got worse as alcoholism usually does you know I I just I couldn't disappoint them anymore and also my mom got sick and I figured for myself especially but also for my family and my friends you know no one needs to worry about where I am in the middle of the night am I going to make it home you know yeah, and you got to do this for yourself, but also there's mm -hmm. a lot of sobriety fuel out there. Is, yeah, I don't want my mom laying up, you know, sleepless nights worrying about her little Paul, you know, because she doesn't even yeah. worry about that. There's a lot of sobriety fuel out there um, that's helping me stay sober. And, but, but more on that conversation. So you woke up in your parents' bedroom out of a blackout. <laughs> where were you at in that phase? Because I've had similar things where – when you're at the acceptance phase, when you've reached the conclusion you can't drink anymore, you don't make excuses. And it's like almost these like quick reactionary excuses that we used to make. Like, well, you know, Homer ran away. He's been a tree for nine days. Like, I got to drink over this. But when you're in acceptance phase, it's like, you know what? You're right. Like, what? You know, how, how do I do this? Like, where, what did you tell your parents? Did you, did, were you like, nope, not an alcoholic? Or like, yeah, I need help? Oh, no. I definitely was at the point where I. I didn't have an excuse. I ran out of those a long time ago. I didn't have a handle on it, and it was pretty evident. You know, I actually attended an AA. My very first AA meeting was with my mom. And, you know, the shame that went with that, and I was, you know, shaking, and <laughs> just, it, was, it was terrible. And the sh I, just the shame that went with everything. For me, going to an AA meeting with my mom was... Uh, was tough, but I went back and I went without my parents. <laughs> and there were a lot of good people that spoke to me, and you know, I that there is where I gathered the hope. Angela, you know that there was hope for people like like us. Yeah, I, I went to an AA meeting in February 2014 with my mom when like the wheels were coming off. She flew out, and she brought a notepad and paper. And I saw her about to raise her hand, right? And I'm just, I like really quickly put my hand on hers. And I'm like, Mom, no, we're not asking questions right now. Just terrified, ashamed. Like, I had no idea. And like, she came home and like, you know, let's recap the notes together. Like, bless her heart. They just want us to get sober. It's amazing. Oh, I know. I know. I was like, Mom, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> saying to her in the thing. And she's like, Oh, she she was annoyed at me by the end of it, but well, how am I gonna I ask a mortified. question, Angela, if I can't raise my hand? <laughs> oh 
Just let's be silent for this one, please. Yeah. I wrote down 97 <laughs> questions about alcoholism in the previous two minutes. I've got a lot of questions to ask, Angela. Let me raise my damn hand. I'm Meanwhile, I'm wearing a hoodie with the hood on, you know, trying to be camouflaged in this place, and everybody knows what's up. That wasn't very fun for me, but hey, you know, I walked in the doors with my mom. That's something. Yeah, I mean, you walked in, but let's uh, let's get to the you know the metaphorical sense. You basically were dragged in, or you know, you like crawled underneath the door. Not the highest point in your life, and neither was mine. No, 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 not, not at all. So after you know, after that week, two weeks of sobriety, you know, how did you do it? I'm so curious to know. Like, you know, your mom didn't go to every AA meeting with you. You said you went back. How'd you do it? I started going to therapy. I see a therapist once a week uh, or once every two weeks. I read. A friend of mine introduced me to Recovery Elevator last year, and I pretty much stay in touch with like-minded people that don't drink, that have drink, you know, that are alcoholics. And I just work on reading, and I just picked up a workbook, an AA workbook that I'm going to start doing. And yeah, I just pretty much wake up every day and do my job and try and end every day on a positive note. And every day that I'm not drinking is a huge win for me. It's a big time win. In nine months, you should be proud. I know I'm proud of you. That's, that's Thank incredible. you. That is incredible. Thank you. Talk to me about relationships, maybe with your parents. And you said a lot of your other friends, they didn't even want to drink with you in the first place. Do you have a new set of friends or, or did they know that you're not drinking and why? You know, like I said, I, I kind of wore the alcohol. So sure. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty evident that I had a problem with it. And I have kind of changed my group of friends, not because I don't want to hang out with them or whatever, but just our interests have changed. A lot of my friends turned out to be drinking friends. Mm -hmm. And I still keep in touch with a lot of people, but, you know, we just don't socialize on the same wavelength anymore. I have lost some friends, I know, to my alcoholism. And it just got to be too much for people to handle. You know, you don't want to have to carry someone around when you go out for a couple beers after a baseball game or something, you know. So my my relationships have suffered in the past from alcoholism, but I also have maintained some great friendships throughout because a lot, most of the people that I've told about this are happy and proud of me and support me in this, you know, in this direction of my life. And my parents and family are very supportive, and my work is very supportive. They know about it pretty much out and about like, hey, I'm a recovering alcoholic. There's, there's no, there's no secret. There's no, there is some, I'm trying to shred the shame, as you say. There you go. And, you know, you, you let the cat out of the house, obviously, just a couple of days ago, but I know <laughs> oh you my. let the cat out of the bag. We spoke a couple months ago and you put something on Facebook, right? I did. I uh, announced to everybody, I, I did say I'm letting the cat out of the bag, that I am celebrating eight months. So I guess that was just a month ago. And um, what was the response to, like? It was so positive. A lot of people were just 
accepting of the fact that I set it out, you know, in, in public. And I actually had quite a few people contact me um, regarding situations in their lives or their personal drinking habits. And that was pretty amazing to me because everyone, it seems, has been touched by alcoholism in some way, shape, or form. And did the and responses so, surprise you for some reason? No, you know, it it did by the amount of people, but not at the same time, you know what I mean? Because alcohol is around us at every, every turn, it seems to be. Mm-hmm. You can get it anywhere. And it's on TV, it's in magazines, and, you know, it's just, it's advertised on Facebook, it's advertised everywhere. And I, I was surprised, but I wasn't. Yeah, and because... The, and the question, you know, what I'm asking that is like, at the end, after you you post it, you're looking back and you're like, what was I so afraid of? It was almost like, I remember when I was on the high dive and I was maybe five or six years old, maybe I was 13, I don't mm-hmm. remember, but you're standing at the high dive and you're just, you're like trying to get as close to the water as possible. And you, you go upstairs, down the stairs. This is true. I did this like five times, like a line of older kids waiting. Finally, I jumped off and you're like, oh my God, that was that was awesome. Like, why did I wait so long to do this? And I just kept jumping off and off and off and off. Yeah, and, and that's how I felt. When I when I put it up in a year, I'm like, what was the problem? And, and those people that yeah. reached out to you, Angela, I don't think you're going to see the end of that. For example, I made my post seven months ago. So I'm a year and I'm 19 months and a bit. And just Sunday night, um, I got a Facebook message from a friend who got a DUI. And I'm meeting with that person at 6.15 tonight just to go over, you know, chat about it. They're like, hey, I think I might have a drinking problem, and that's not my place to tell wow. them. But I think further down yeah. the road, Angela, you're, you're like, hey, Angela, remember seven years ago and you posted that on Facebook? Like, I might be an alcoholic. It, it's never going to end. Have, I mean, how do you feel about that? For me, if I can, you know, talk to someone that's ever been in the same situation or, you know, uh, just to have a sounding board, to have, uh, how, how do I put it? To be able to talk to somebody that's been in the same situation, like when I went to AA and I was talking to people for the first time openly about my alcoholism, such a weight was lifted off my chest. And I, you know, if I could do that for someone else, that would be the most amazing gift. Because to be sober, it's not easy, but it's the best, you know, best gift you can give give to yourself and your family and friends talk to me you know? more about the not easy part did you think it was going to be easier or what What does that mean more for you no <laughs> no i didn't think it was going to be easy um that's why i was so scared to quit because most of my social basis was around alcohol and that's how i knew how to loosen up and I loosened up way too much, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was the one falling over at at the bar, and it, it was scary to not have, as silly as it sounds, it was scary to not have that crutch anymore, <laughs> even yeah. though I wasn't waking up, you know, and when I'm sober, I'm not waking up with, like, bruises that I don't know where they came from, or, you know, knocked out teeth, <laughs> busted limbs. Oh, was the knocked out teeth a uh, true story? Yeah, true story. Gotta ask. Let's hear it. Well, my best friend actually died in a skiing accident about ten and a half years ago. And there was a yes. um, lodge that was built 
um, in his honor up at one of the local mountains here near Seattle. And so I went to the lodge, um, well, I guess, dedication, and I got pretty smashed as, you know, as I always did at these things. And um, I went to the local bar. Lodge dedications? Do you go to a lot of lodge dedications? (laughs) For for this specific friend that passed away, I was on the board of directors, and we did a lot of ski um, education, like backcountry safety awareness. Um, I did not teach the class. Okay. So that's probably a very safe thing. (laughs) But I did go to them. And well, I've just talked so, about how we justify everything drinking. It's like, Angela, you're pretty sauced up. You're like, yo, it's a lodge dedication. What are you talking about? This is about? a lodge dedication for my best friend, you know? Yeah. Everybody was drinking. And <laughs> Sorry to hear about so, your friend. Um, that sucks. What's that? Sorry to hear about your friend. That sucks. Oh, thank you. Yeah. He's, he was a good one. All right, back um, to the missing teeth. Missing teeth. And so we went back to the local watering hole here on Mercer Island, and I actually used to work at this bar, and apparently I met with a rock in the front of the establishment, and I woke up the next day, you know, kind of thing, and I was like, oh, feeling around for all my stuff, like, oh, there's my phone, there's my purse, and then I kind of felt my face, and I was like, oh my god, I don't have a front tooth. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was completely gone. And I was like, oh, it's not so bad. Yeah, I called a friend. I was like, hey, what happened to my tooth? Oh, wow. Now he's like, did well, you, did it get replaced or is it something that you want to you want to have a memory that tells you, like, look, this is why I'm not drinking? No, I actually did get it replaced. I have met Angela in person <laughs> and it appeared to me that you have all your teeth. Yes, yes. It, it took about 30 hours of surgery, but I did get it get it done. Wow, and did you have to find it? Well, I never did find the tooth. No, the tooth is gone. <laughs> I chipped my tooth, tooth on a microphone at Lake Powell at a giant houseboat trip of like 23 people at 7 a.m. in the morning. I was drinking by myself, yeah. and I was pissed off. We're on a party boat, and people weren't up at 7 a.m., and so I like took the microphone <laughs> in my mouth. Um, yeah, I was not very popular on that trip. Let's just put it that way. Well, I probably would have been right there with you. <laughs> we would have <laughs> no had two. a good time together, Angela. <laughs> we probably wouldn't have been able to remember it, but Oh, hey. I know. That's what YouTube is for. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, and Angela, walk me through a day of your recovery. So how do you do it today? Well, a day of recovery for me, um, well, a day in the life of me is, you know, I wake up and go to work and I usually listen to classical music while I work and I clean houses professionally here in the Seattle area. And uh, so classical music for me kind of gets me going and then I will listen to a podcast or, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous YouTube or whatever and, you know, that kind of gets me through the day and I try not to listen to sad music or anything while I'm working you know and then I will go to um, my therapist and talk with her for an hour and a half and then I'll go home maybe read hang out with Oklahoma or Homer (laughs) and you know reach out see what's happening on RE I love RE and the relationships that I've made in this group 
to see what's happening there. The Facebook page for me is a really hands-on active way for me to reach out and to see what's happening at all times. Do you mean the page or the, the group? The Facebook group. So the Cafe Ari. Okay, page. gotcha. Cafe Ari, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. For me, that's like super fast and, you know, I can talk to anyone right there. There's people available, you know, there's always someone awake because <laughs> there's people from around the world. So yeah. that's a pretty huge gift. Yeah, and Angela, I know I had a fantastic experience when I was in Seattle, and that's where you and I met. Talk to me about the meetup for you. Were you hesitant when you showed up? Were you scared to meet people? Because um, I, I knew the spark was going to happen, but it was a great night. I had a lot of fun. What was it like for you? It was an amazing time. I was so pumped because I, you know, spoken to you over RE and to actually put faces together with names that you see, you know, usually you're just typing and, you know, to actually meet people face to face was, it was like a reunion, but it was even cooler because I, di I didn't go to my high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I love the word reunion. Yeah. Cause you, you already was, know everybody when you show up. Yeah. And so it was like the best kind of party you can go to. And we were all sober and yeah. it was amazing. It really, and, really was. It was hilarious. Anybody else there either. But at the end of the night, we were playing some, like, you know, guessing game with your iPhones. <laughs> like, we've been best friends since childhood. It was awesome. I know. It was really pretty amazing. And, you know, I know we've all struggled so much with alcoholism and everything. But to get to that point and knowing that that's the bond that brought us there is pretty incredible. I know. I'll take it. I'm fine with it. And I love it. I mean, there's there's no point in looking back or doing anything different. I love it. It's a lot of fun. And Angela, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? I think so. Angela, besides getting your teeth knocked out from a rock that was strategically misplaced, not your fault, what was your worst memory from drinking? My worst memory from drinking was waking up in the hospital not knowing how I got there and then not knowing where my car was the next day next question Angela number two wave we've all heard of that aha moment have you ever had an oh shit moment where you realized you couldn't control your drinking yeah I would say probably the same time when I woke up in the hospital was a big oh shit moment that would make sense and sorry, I got yeah. asked the previous question number one, stem two questions. Uh, what happened to the car, and how did you get to the hospital? Well, um, the only way I know how I got to the hospital was this was after work, and I was working in an Irish pub, and I'd gone out after work, and I think I must have passed out in the park right by Pike Place because someone had taken pictures of me getting loaded up into the ambulance with my phone. Ooh. And the only way I knew where I was is because I recognized the background, and I still to this day have no idea how I got from there to the hospital. But somebody was looking out for me, and I woke up with all my stuff, you know, my phone, wallet, everything was there, except my brain. Yeah. The next question. It's scary. Yeah, no kidding. Angela, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? My plan in sobriety moving forward is to check in with myself and make sure that I'm doing all right. You know, if I'm feel if I'm feeling something 
and don't need to suppress it. You know, I need to address what's going on. And also just try and be real and be healthy. You know, do healthy things and be happy and do the best that I can. Check in with yourself. I like that. I think that's mm -hmm. the first time I've heard that. I like that a lot. Next question, Angela, what's your favorite resource in recovery? I have to say uh, my favorite resource is Recovery Elevator. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yes. I'm, in, I'm a big fan myself. Next <laughs> question, Angela, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I've received is just keep coming back, you know. Pretty simple Come and straightforward. Going. Get out of that boxing ring, but just keep coming back to uh yeah keep the, the sobriety <laughs> keep ring, fighting put it that way yeah. the sobriety ring and angela before we go what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early recovery keep going keep doing it for yourself there is an unlimited amount of there's so many possibilities for your life but you just have to stop the insanity which is for me with drinking and once you do that, things become way more clear and actually attainable. You know, things clear. are better <laughs> on this clear side. Clear and attainable. I know what you feel. And last, before we go, give listeners your own customized, personalized, you might be an alcoholic if line. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if you are in San Diego for a wedding and you missed last call. And you're in a cab, and the cab driver offers to drive you to Mexico and give you a free ride home for Alaska. Did you go? So, yes, I did. Oh, wow. And okay. I walked over the border with a broken foot from another drinking accident. <laughs> wow, Angela, we would have been in a lot of trouble because I can. I have that same, you might be an alcoholic if. My brother and I, it was like 1.55 in the morning. We were at a club in San Diego. We met some guy with a rental car. Tijuana, here we come. <laughs> Yes, Jesus. that's exactly what happened. I was not alone. There were two other people with me besides the cab driver who will remain nameless. But, yeah, true story. I don't really remember getting back, though. <laughs> Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't either. There was this guy from London. He was, like, traveling the United States, and he really wanted to go visit Mexico, and we're telling him about Tijuana. <laughs> and, you know, the bar was closing, and then he's like, you know, I think it's probably my idea you know and just he's like, hey we could go down there and keep drinking and he drove us down there and we lost him in like an hour he could still be oh down my there god. I have no idea just, oh my god i don't know I when don't in know. rome you know you know what that's that's how much yeah when in rome yeah it's a it's a lodge <laughs> dedication you're traveling america like this is what happens in america go get lost in tijuana <laughs> yeah yeah and just leave your Great rental car idea. down there um, oh my god well angela Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for helping me stay sober today. Have a great one. Thank you. I met Angela at the Recovery Elevator Meetup in Seattle, Washington. After the meetup, a group of us decided to go to somebody's place and play board games. It was a great time. On the way to that place, we stopped at a stop sign. I turned my head left, and I saw a really cool thing. It was a sign that said, The Recovery Cafe. This is an experiment I want you guys to follow me with. The main point behind Recovery Elevator, it's the stigma. The stigma is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than the alcohol. The stigma is what makes people reach their most acute point in their using their drinking before reaching out for help. I can't think of any other disease where you just simply wait. You wait till it gets so bad when you're like, 
okay, now's the time. I can't walk. Everything's broken. Uh, now I need help. No, other diseases aren't like that. Probably because the other diseases aren't served in a stigma taco. So if the number one goal behind Recovery Elevator is to combat this deadly stigma, I need to start walking the walk. I really have no plans of opening up a coffee shop or a cafe, but my office does have a great presence on one of the busiest streets in the town of Bozeman, Montana. It's got great retail storefront. So I ordered a 90 inch by 20 inch window decal to put in the window. It's gonna be pretty hard to miss while driving down this busy road. The office is right next to a Dairy Queen and on busy summer days in Bozeman, Montana, there's like 20 or 30 people that are just gonna stare right up at this window and the sticker that says, Recovery Cafe coming soon. Again, there are no plans in the immediate future to open up a coffee shop, but I wanna get the conversation started. Hey, did you hear there's another coffee shop coming to Bozeman? Uh, Recovery something? But just imagine a place where you can go meet with your sponsor. You can go meet, read a book, and ask the person behind the register. Say, hey, are, are you in recovery? I'm, I think I'm struggling with alcohol. I mean, why the hell not? There's nothing to be ashamed of. If it doesn't work, I want it to be because my coffee sucks. The building I'm in isn't even zoned for a coffee shop. Yes, so I am a little serious about this. I've already spent over $100 on vinyl uh, window decals, and I've called the city about zoning. I'm passionate about recovery. I'm passionate about eradicating the stigma. But what I can have is I can have a free pot of coffee. And once I get my office set up, I plan on having just that. Couches, coffee, where you can come in with a sponsor, hang out, have a cup of coffee. It's free. We can't sell it. And just hang out with other alcoholics. So if you find yourself on a road trip or you're in Montana on the 90 near Bozeman, stop off, have a cup of coffee. Let me know if you would go to a coffee shop like this. I think there's demand for this, but let me know. Email me at info at recoveryelevator.com if you'd go to a coffee shop like this in your city. All right, Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 